Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Michael Costa is a senior correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Prior to The Daily Show, Michael co-created, produced, and starred in the E-Network's The Comment Section, guest-hosted G4's Attack of the Show, and co-hosted Crowd Goes Wild on Fox Sports with the late Regis Philbin. He also served as a correspondent on the Soup spinoff series The Soup Investigates. Costa has made the late-night rounds over the years from NBC to TBS and back to Comedy Central, and at the end of 2020 has released his first one-hour stand-up special for Comedy Central. Michael Costa, Detroit, New York, L.A., includes material filmed in a theater in his native Michigan, as well as club sets at New York Comedy Club and the Hollywood Improv. Costa joined me over Zoom to talk about making the move from tennis pro to stand-up comedian, lessons he's learned along the way, and more. So let's get to it! So, Michael Costa, uh, last things first, it's been a long, strange trip for both of us. Um, So, I want to start with uh, one of the things you mentioned in your new special. Okay. Great. Were were you really living at home when you you got the Daily Show offer? Well, it's not exactly like that. I, (laughs) I I was living in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. in my apartment that I paid for based off of my stand-up comedy. And then I got hired in New York and my parents lived in New York city at the time. And anyone who's ever worked in showbiz or entertainment, you know, that, you know, no job is ever guaranteed, especially in the beginning, you sign some like six week, we'll try you out type thing. So I said, I'm not moving my family and everybody to the East coast and then get fired in 10 weeks and have to move back to LA. So I crashed with my parents. I was 38 years old. Uh, They lived five blocks from the daily show studio and I was sleeping in a twin bed and uh, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, I talk about it on the special, but you know, mom's knocking on the door at 9am and she's saying, Hey, I made some coffee. Do you want breakfast? It's like, Holy shit. Yes. Yes. To all that. (laughs) That, that says something vital though, about the confidence in, in insecurity of a stand-up comedian that you get a dream gig, such as being a correspondent on the daily show. And yet you're not quite sure you're ready to, (laughs) to make the leap. I mean, isn't that what every, person who decides to pick showbiz and not even performers anybody who's like decided that showbiz is where i'm going to work it's always this one foot in must have self-belief must have stick to who you are know your point of view and the other foot in holy shit this sucks i suck uh always have a backup plan i mean i i tell people jokingly i was googling veterinary schools uh, a year before the daily show and I, in a, but, but it turns out you also have to do like reptiles and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I just wanted cute, small dogs. You can't just do warm blooded. You can't do warm blooded. So, uh, but you know, 
I had also, Sean, moved once before to New York for right. a gig and for a gig on Fox Sports. And they canceled it in six months. And now you've uprooted everybody, your life, the comedy clubs that you know and love. I was in New York having to restart, you know, anyone that's ever moved to a coast, you got to restart. And so I had done that once before. And this time I said, let's hedge our bets and see how the Daily Show pans out before we do the big move. But it's still, it's panned out okay. So that's great. Yeah, you're like, if if they wouldn't, even give Regis Philbin more of a chance. <laughs> if if Regis Philbin can get canceled, Costa can get canceled. <laughs> so how long into your daily show run did it take before you were convinced that oh, this I'm, might this might last a little bit? I'm still convinced I'm getting fired any minute. Um, really? No, no. <laughs> uh, they, you know, what's funny is you're always learning. The Daily Show is not like every other gig I've ever done. Every other gig I've ever done, it's shady people up top. The network doesn't really know what they want. They say they do. They want something different. Your contract is garbage. The Daily Show is the opposite of all those things. So uh, once I got embedded in there, once I saw how long-term they were thinking, you know, contract negotiations help. But uh, you can always, you know, they can always tear that up if they really want to. Once I kind of realized, oh, people have this job for a long time. And and I'm not just talking correspondents, writers, uh, PAs. I mean, people, you go, oh, hey, you know, how long have you been here? And they'd be like, oh, I was here when Kilborn shot the pilot. You know, like the wow. editors edited Kilborn's pilot. So, um I'm not saying it's, it's, it, you know, I, I just realized that I was lucky to have a job and then, then I packed up and moved. Although, you know, you say this is unlike any job you've ever had before, but it does feel as though you've been training for this job with your previous sure. gigs. That's a good point. And I think we're all, everything we do, whether we think it's beneficial or not, is helping us. And I know I don't want to sound like an Instagram motivator right now, but I will post that on my Instagram later today. Um, you, you know, the Fox sports gig, you kind of are sitting there half the time, scratching your head. You're going, why are they putting me through this? Why am I putting me through this? Uh, does Regis even know my name? Um, and then, you know, you get to the next gig and the next you're getting, Oh, that was helpful. I learned that there. Oh, this, this, and this. And so, um, you're right. You're right. And maybe that's why it takes a long time for us to get the job that, uh, that, that is so wonderful. How, had you auditioned before for The Daily Show? I had it. No, I had not auditioned for them. Oh. I mean, I, there, there wasn't a lot of openings, if I can recall. And there, very, there rarely are openings, because why mm-hmm. the hell would you ever leave? Because it's so, it's so great. But um, Jordan Klepper was there four years. I, I, I don't remember, but but once he left, I remember thinking, "Oh, the white guy left. I got a shot." Uh, and so I did have a shot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, here's something I've been I've been dying to ask you for a long time. Oh um, shit. <laughs> No, was had you ever con- considering your past jobs with E and with Fox Sports? And now with Comedy Central, had you ever previously considered broadcasting as a career? No, because 
I always wanted to be funny. Um, you know, I assume you mean like broadcasting, like sport broadcasting or like, like newsy broadcasting. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since, you know, your first career was as an athlete. Yeah. And then you eventually got into comedy. Yeah. I, no, the short, the short answer is no, despite the look. Right. Despite, despite the hair part, despite having many ties and suits that I like to wear. Those guys, and it's usually guys, but it's changing a little bit. They're not, they're, they're never funny. You know, it, it's always just reading the teleprompter. And it's not that everyone can do that either. Because mm-hmm. all you got to do is put anybody on a, on a desk and say, read the teleprompter. And you watch how, how that actually isn't as easy as it seems. But I liked funny people. My whole life, I've liked funny people. The way in my family that you said I love you was you never said I love you. Are you insane? You would make fun of the person. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to be funny. And to me, the only way to really be funny in showbiz was comedic acting or, or comedic performing, or in my case, another art form I always loved, which was stand-up comedy. That's interesting that you didn't look at sports casting as humorous. Well, I, yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, I mean, it is, it is humorous unintentionally, maybe. maybe. Maybe I think that because I grew up in Connecticut. Okay. So I grew up only a couple towns away from where ESPN was born. And actually the first idea that I had about journalism at all came from our local sportscaster showing up at my elementary school for career day and oh. showing, and showing us a blooper reel. And I was like, Oh, this looks like this. Well, and you job. bring up a great point. Cause I've already mentioned his name, uh, Craig Kilborn. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a very funny sports center anchor. And in fact, successfully transitioned into hosting late night. So you are right that ESPN sports center was the one kind of show where it really showed that the broadcasters could be funny. But I guess to to answer your question, I didn't have the ownership over that material. I don't know who the off guard for the Raptors was in 1998 game six I don't give a fuck you know like (laughs) I I I feel like sport is futile uh I feel it is silly I definitely watch it I definitely enjoy it but um I would rather I would rather talk about comedic things okay so take me back to that point where you made the the leap from tennis playing and tennis coaching to sure i'm gonna check out what's going on in the comedy club yeah what was that what was that moment for you like well i remember looking and it's not always a sexy answer i remember looking at my upcoming contract to coach at university of michigan i was the assistant men's tennis coach and i think i was making twenty nine thousand, and then i would get an extra 5,000 if I did the summer camps, which was like four weeks of standing on hot asphalt for uh, 12 hours a day while like tennis parents yelled at you. Mm -hmm. So best case scenario, I was going to make 35 grand to teach tennis. And I remember thinking, I bet I could make 35 grand and be bad at comedy. Now I was wrong. You can only make $8,000 and be bad at comedy. But uh, it, it, it was exciting to me. I had just put so much time and effort into tennis, and I had felt like I'd gotten to the best I could get. Um, 
And that's also part to answer your, your broadcaster question. A lot of those broadcasters are Wimbledon champions, uh, NFL champions. Um, it's an easier, you know, I was, my highest ranking was 864 in the world. That was the best I ever got. Mm-hmm. So I decided financially I would take a shot at comedy, something I was always passionate about, and I would try to make 30 grand a year. And if I could beat that, eventually I had, I had, I had made it. I had done well. And in a few years I got over 30 grand and I said, okay, that's it. I can uh, just perform bowling alleys from now on and be happy. So when I was looking back through like your Wikipedia and stuff, oh, it, shit. it, no, it, I just didn't realize the, how the math works out. It seems as though when I met you in 2007, you had only been doing it for a couple of years. Is that when we met? At we met at Aspen, and then okay. and then like the following month, live at Gotham taped. Yeah, because Aspen, I think I was on the last Aspen. I had not been doing it a long time. I mean, two and a half, three years. Mm-hmm. And what was so funny about that was I literally had five minutes. I mean, depending on if they laughed or not, it was four minutes. Um, But, of course, as fate would have it, everybody got snowed in that year except for me. I was at Aspen early, and there were all these shows that needed to be done. And everyone was snowed in, like Ian Bagg and Eric Andre and TJ Miller and Shane Moss and everyone else that I forgot, uh, uh, Hari. And so they were like, Costa, you got four shows tonight, five shows tomorrow. And I'm like, I don't have any fucking material, dude. I have four minutes. So what am I supposed to do? <laughs> but I did. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I, I, I stayed with Shane and Hari in their oh, yeah. condo. And, um, but it's, but it's also wild to me that, okay, so you only had a few minutes, but you got to take advantage of all this stage time. And then one of the other new comedians there kirk fox is was is also a former tennis player so like what are the odds of that kind of happening you know and it's these are the these are the class this is my class of comedy that you come up with and Mm -hmm. i'm really proud of that class not that like we're a team anymore if anything you know we're all trying to kill each other in comedy (laughs) but i remember sitting next to kurt on the on the flight home he had just been named maybe best of the fest or whatever, you know, yeah. he was excellent. He lived in LA. He was, you know, this tall, handsome dude who used to play tennis and I'm going, Holy shit. Kurt is like the life I want. Can I murder <laughs> Kirk and take his, take his life? Um, now it took many years mm-hmm. for Kirk and I to finally get on the tennis court. And um, we reconnected at the comedy store and I said, Hey, I was that young guy at Aspen, blah, blah, blah. We went and played at a park somewhere very good at tennis, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then he texted me or called or whatever it was back then. And he said, Hey, do you want to hit at a private court? And I was like, sure. Or is this like, is this where he makes me suck his dick or something? Like what, what exactly, <laughs> you know, what, what exactly does that mean? But yes, I will. <laughs> so he gives me the address. Mm-hmm. Um, I roll up to this house in the Hills. It is like six cars are being washed as I drive in, you know, like whoever owns this home has like people come wash the cars. So we're hitting on this private clay court. It's beautiful. Kirk is not like telling me much about it. And down the steps, like in the bachelor walks, Dr. Phil. <laughs> and, and, 
And he has his rackets and the mustache and the accent. And yeah, who's this? You know, what you doing, Phil? Or what you doing, Kirk? Who we hitting with? And I'm hitting with Dr. Phil now with Kurt Fox. And it's just such a L.A. like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Have you, have you had other experiences like that with comedy and tennis? Not with comedy and tennis, because who who plays tennis in comedy? I mean, there's Kurt Fox. There's myself. Julio Gallarotti is a very good tennis player. Um, there's not many others. And Kirk is that perfect mix. And, and, you know, of course, here we are trying to promote my special and I'm promoting Kirk. <laughs> here we, he's the perfect mix of like Hollywood meets comedy meets celebrity. And it's like, of course, we're playing at Dr. Phil's house. Well, let's, let's, let's talk more about your special then. It, it, oh, great. It, it feels to me like it was initially intended to just be Detroit. Incorrect. So I'm wrong. Okay. It, yeah. Well, I mean, we put we put a lot of the production money into Detroit. Right, that because that feels like that feels like a regular special. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so how did it, how did it break down? Oh, sure. How it broke down was I was watching many of my favorite comics one hour specials and I couldn't get to the end of them. <laughs> and it's not that they weren't funny. Mm-hmm. It's that the special wasn't feeling special anymore to me. And um, with so many platforms, with so much content, with everybody getting a stand-up special, I remember having this conversation with Sam Volan, who's the, one of the producers and editors on the piece, who's kind of a producing partner of mine. And he's like, remember when specials were special? I was like, holy shit, I got to tune into this. And so we, we got chatting. Comedy Central has been nothing but supportive, but they had a chunk of money for us. And the chunk of money is your chunk of money, you know? And so they are open to kind of whatever you want to do, but uh, you don't, you know, you can't say, hey, I need 3 million. We're going to go to New York. I need 4 million. We're going to LA. So we, we wanted a big, flashy theater show, which I wanted to be in Michigan because that's where I'm from. And I wanted to interject business into the Detroit area. And then we also wanted to move the viewer around. And as we got looking at my set, my life started in Detroit, Ann Arbor, then went to LA, then went to New York. And I had these, these bits. I had these chunk of material that was making fun of the coasts because I wrote those when I lived in the coast and Sam and I were chatting and he's like, you should go to those cities and make fun of those cities the way you do now, just in your, in your set. And I said, that's a great idea. So we start in Detroit. It's flashy. It's big. We hopefully get your attention. And then we move to the, you know, 65 seat basement, New York comedy club. Don't slip on the way down. We haven't fixed the stairs in 150 years. (laughs) And uh, that's also a part of my comedy and important that I share that with the audience with this special. Now, obviously you shot it all pre-pandemic. Yes. Do you feel like some of the jokes hit especially harder now that you're releasing it a year later? Yeah. And it goes the other way too. You know, some, some people are like, is he really talking about, uh, car horns honking right now. Like we, I haven't seen my family in a year, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bit about washing your hands in my special. There's a bit about how I say I had to pull 
pull the most recent virus before COVID. I said, we're all going to die of Zika or whatever the mm-hmm. fuck I said, because none of the faucets work. You know, you put your hand underneath there and, and, the, and the water doesn't come out. And I was, as we were rewatching that and editing everything, it was like, holy shit, I literally say we're all going to die because we don't wash our hands. I mean, that's interesting. That was recorded a year ago. <laughs> and now 300,000 of us have died, and it's not from not washing your hands, but it's certainly not helping. Right. The, 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 one, the one thing you talked about that, that hit with me a little bit harder was you're talking about gun rights in Michigan. And you're talking yeah. about how if you talk about stuff – your your friends back home are going to load up and i'm going yeah. oh yeah no wonder michigan had the people plotting against their own governor like yeah and you know costa, that's, costa was warning me costa was warning you but also it, that's such an interesting joke to to like look at now one we haven't had a mass shooting in a while right i mean so, at, at least at least one that is like so headline grabbing and when i do that joke um, it was always kind of a, Oh, everybody shut the fuck up. He's talking about now it, you watch it and you almost go like, Hey man, we're not talking about gun rights right now. We're talking about everything else. But then two, it's interesting joke because as soon as uh, the governor of Michigan shut the state down, all those dumb motherfuckers get their AR 15s and go to the Capitol and take photographs. So it's like, it, it's both. And right. You know, God, fingers crossed that next year it's the headlines are just mass shootings. The one thing that hasn't changed is comedians talking about how comedy can be terrible. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) Which is your opening line. So that's not a spoiler. The opening line in your special is comedy is a terrible profession. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. And um I I enjoy bitching about comedy. I think there there's a lot to to bitch about. That being said, I told you a little bit about how I got there. I selected this profession. I love this profession. I maybe in a weird way began to take it for granted. Began to get upset that the comedy club, you know, waitress dropped the tray of drinks or that prices are getting high for tickets or so some of that angst that I start the special with comedy is a terrible profession is also sh- telling a lot of the other people out there that think, Hey, I want to be a comedian. It's like, Hey, no, you don't. <laughs> but now when you look at it from the perspective of it's been taken away from us for a year, maybe more, I miss it. I mean, I have a, I, I have a hole emotionally and artistically that I want to fill. And yes, pardon the sex pun, but comedy and I make love and I haven't been able to make love to it. Well, that, that is part of the Michael Costa branding. Is you're very... <laughs> Always get it in there somehow. You're very sensual, very seductive. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wanted... I, that was also part of like why we went to New York and why we went to LA. Because every special is this like camera on the jib and the lights and the theater and standing ovation. And I was kind of like, Hey motherfuckers, it is some of that sometimes, but there's also the, there's also not that there's also some terrible parts of it. In fact, most of the evenings where you get good at comedy are terrible. (laughs) And even a lot of the big name comedians 
have to work out their special in these regular showcase show clubs in yeah. New York and L.A. where the, the audience might be pretty apathetic. Apathetic, German, non-English speaking. I already you know. said apathetic. Oh, yes. German. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they got, you know, I remember, you know, some club where it's like, I'm going, why is nobody laughing? And I would say to what's wrong? You know, what, not what's wrong. I would say, hey, talk, let's get talking. It's like their fourth show in a row. The club keeps saying, hey, if you want to stay, we'll give you tickets. Um, and also, you can tell when a comic special, they didn't go through the clubs or they didn't go through the work because the specials, they do laugh. They kind of laugh at whatever you say. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's some genuine laughs and there's some kind of, Hey, we're on TV. We better laugh laughs. But um, I always felt like I could sniff out the comic that like was just doing a special getting paid and leaving. And I certainly did not want that to look like mine. Well, it does not. So congratulations. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Um, but uh, there's, there's, at one point in the special, you also talk about how comedy can or cannot change people's minds about sure. issues. Was there a point in your life or your career where you thought that it could be more powerful? I probably had a little bit of a naive um, opinion on comedy. I think what's changed to me is – I think if you can get people laughing, you can do anything because if laughing is a shared experience, I'm sure I'm not the first comic to mention that on your podcast, but I would say start with a good joke where everyone's laughing and it's genuine. And then maybe try to sneak in some societal uh, review or criticism. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think personally, and I had this same conversation in Montreal on a panel and everybody got so fucking mad at me. Um, But I said, I don't really know if it can elicit this big, huge change. I, by being together and laughing at something is a huge moment. Two different people that have different views sitting at a Thanksgiving table who hate each other. And then they laugh because mom drops the bowl of gravy. That is fucking that's a good moment. <laughs> um, but I think we get mixed up and especially, you know, us coastal elites, which I guess I would call myself now that we think we can um, hide social change through a, a one hour stand up comedy special. I don't believe that is successful from the standpoint of, Oh, I switched your vote from Trump to Biden. or Clinton. Mm-hmm. What do you so, think? Well, it, is that it's, negative, what I just said? No, no. What It strikes me as odd because I guess most of the debate, especially online, and talk about coastal elites, I feel like right. Twitter Twitter might be only yeah. coastal elites. But it feels it's like, like only 10% of Twitter accounts are even active. And then of those 10%, it's like 0.1% are like tweeting every single day. It's like the smallest group of people. Right, oh, but... And that's the group of people that is the the most vocal and the loudest and the most vociferous about, I guess, not that comedy can be a change for good, but they're arguing about, against comedy being a change for evil. And that's yeah. where all the cancel culture – and I hate saying those words because I don't even believe in it. Yeah. But that's where all of that 
fight infighting on online takes place is about, well, these comedians are, are bringing about change for bad. And so we yeah. need to stop them. Yeah. So if, if, if comedy can't be a change for good, then it probably also can't be a change for bad. I, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I, I don't think if a comic gets on stage and spews hate genuine and the audience feels that it's genuine, that mm. it will create hate. Um, it's com- it's a comic now where it does get. Yeah. I mean, if he was running for office, you know, now maybe, you know, I don't know. It might be different, but um, I don't think that online crowd is as big as it feels. And you would be an expert on this more than me, but I, you know, you, you scroll through your mentions and there's always some people that are mad, but I always feel like it's the actual tangible angst is much less than what is being posted. That's my opinion. So should we just get rid of Twitter? And Facebook? I mean, we no, but we should reassess what it's, you know, it's benefit. Um, because it does have some benefit and the internet has some benefit. I love ways. I love Google maps, you know, Google maps is great. Whenever I go to Los Angeles, I rely on Google maps. I mean, think about like being lost. I mean, I, when was the last time anybody was lost? Um, (laughs) quick information. I'm watching the undoing yesterday and I'm like, well, if his, if his bail was at 10 million and it was 2 million cash, do you get your bail money back? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm going Googling. Oh yeah. Bail money. It's a down payment, the bail, whatever, whatever. So this is love this information that's can be so readily available. Right. Social media, you know, has it gotten, is it done more good than bad? And I, I, I they're, they're successfully monetizing our attention and our eyeballs. And do you want your life? If your life is what you look at, is this what you want your life to be? By the way, tweet to me at Michael Costa, Instagram at Michael Costa. <laughs> right, because I'm sure for the special, Comedy Central is going to want you to do a lot of social media promotion. Yeah, and I mean, they don't need to ask. I'm already pushing it out, uh, you know, and it's great for promotion. It's great for promotion, but I don't feel better after I scroll through anything. Um, I feel worse. Usually my mom says that she feels better after she scrolls down Facebook because she gets connected with her friends and family. But I, I think she's a fucking liar. <laughs> well, uh, I hope that having a special and having almost four years of the daily show under your belt, that you have a little bit more confidence in your career. I, I have, I have confidence in my career and in my ability. Um, I do think it's smart, just like an athlete, because that's kind of how I started. You know, you're always, it goes back to what I said earlier, you got to have self-belief, but you're always preparing. You're always preparing just in case your opponent is, is, is playing better than you that day. Well, uh, here's, here's to the continued uh, practice. Uh, Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah, I mean, stand up is my, is my passion. And whenever we're up and running again, I'll, I'll be out there. So, so you're not, so, so you're not one of those who's, who's willing to risk it all on a, um, 
on an underground <laughs> speakeasy on a, show. Yeah, on a on a pickup truck show. Yeah. Um, I'm choosing not to, but I don't have any. I don't have any ill will towards those that are. Um, I, you know, part of my character on stage is a little cocky, is a little, hey, I'm better than you. Um, I need the stage to elevate me. Uh, I, I need the microphone. I need the security team that's there. Um, it's hard to feel cocky when you're in Central Park. Yeah, when you're in Central Park and there's like a, a 10-year-old kid eating peanut butter and jelly next to you. So, um, but but do I think those comics that are doing that are staying sharp when I'm not? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, w- will I have to make up for that down the line? Yeah, yeah, I will. But um, also the biggest thing, thank you, Comedy Central. Thank you, Daily Show. I've stayed on work, you know, there's still a paycheck that's coming in. So I can't sit here and go, why would you ever do a zoom show for $20? Well, you're getting paid already. So um, I don't, I can never, never be mad at that. Right. You're telling jokes that are still on television. Yeah. And, and I don't say that as like, Hey, fuck you guys. I say that as that buys me some significant freedom. And if I choose at this point to sit down for an hour and write versus go sit in probably a COVID infested Brooklyn basement with no stage. I would rather sit and write. Especially when you have a little Costa at home, little Costa. And I try the jokes on her and you know what, you know what she does half the time she shits her pants. <laughs> that's Come a on, great, shot. that's a great reaction from an audience member. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> well, Michael Costa, uh, while, uh, I struggle to find a way to solve Twitter and Facebook. I'm very grateful that Zoom can bring us together. Can I offer a suggestion? Sure. What if, much like driving a car, much like owning a weapon, much like having a credit card, we have a social media license. Um, And it doesn't need to be strenuous. Um, But you need to have an age minimum and more importantly, you need to have your real life information attached to your account. Uh, no, no anonymous, so if you, no anonymous account. If you post some bullshit, if you make a threat, if you, you know, why not? People don't usually say that shit to your face for good reason. Is that a solution? I'm all for it. I just hope the person handing out the licenses has some common decency. Right? Yeah. yeah, and that's where it gets that's where it gets tricky. Well, at least I know you are a decent man, and thank you for showing that decency by showing up today. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. And you can go to michaelcosta.com to check out the special, also Comedy Central. <laughs> out December 11th. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening.
last things first. 